Hello, hello, welcome and welcome back to Blazers for Goalposts. As ever, I am joined by my co-host Joe. Returning to the pod is our old friend John Walters, and in typical BFG fashion, we also have a special guest on today's show. Joe will be introducing our guest shortly. Before we get to them, John, it's been a little while since we've had you on the pod. What have you been up to? I'm currently in Wales at the minute, in Cardiff, uh, visiting some family while I can. And uh, I was cleaning out my closet around here and found loads of really old Arsenal shirts, the uh, O2 season, the Invincibles stuff. Oh man, it was so good. I've got like a training top with, um, remember Total 90? Yeah. Oh, it's glorious. The, the Nike. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely glorious. So yeah, I was trying them on and luckily my parents bought them when I was a kid, uh, extra, extra large. And they still fit. It's amazing. So I'm going to be knocking about um, London in a few old Arsenal shirts soon. Yeah, I love it. Uh, any names on the back of those old kits? Yeah, there's uh, the kit when we first moved to the Emirates. I've got Van Persie on. And uh, yeah, so. Yeah, well, I mean, Van Persie, there's always sort of like mixed emotions there, but we'll move on. <laughs> we'll move on. So, how, how about you? What, what's your week been like? It's been good. Keeping myself busy in these um, slightly bizarre times we're living in. Um, but yeah, not too bad at all. And Kai, as you've already said, we are very lucky to be able to welcome another guest to Blazers for Goalposts. Johnny Sharples is very well known by the football Twitter community. And it's fair to say he never disappoints with his hilarious content. Although I am still quite disappointed he didn't manage to get that image of Harry Maguire onto the new £50 note. That, that would have been quite something. But um, on a more serious note, Johnny is also an ambassador of Calm, which is a leading um, movement against suicide. Johnny, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. How are you? Um, well, thank you. I'm already upset by the fact that the O2 Arsenal era was described as a long time ago, um, which, which instantly makes me feel very old because I remember that very, uh, very well. But um, apart from being uh, made to think of my own mortality, um, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me on and thank you for having me. Oh, no, thank you very much for being here. And Johnny, we, um, we know you're quite into your football video games. Obviously, well, well, we'll take Football Manager out of the equation for the time being, but on the kind of PlayStation and Xbox, FIFA and, to a slightly lesser extent, um, Pro Evolution Soccer are kind of the big boys in this world. But um, down the years, for better or for worse, we've been treated to some truly iconic alternatives to the big two. So for me, my favourite hipster football game, we'll call it, was Club Football. I don't know if you remember that one. It was in sort of the 0405 season. It was Codemasters that made it. And it was hilarious because they basically made like, it was the same game, but they had loads of different versions for the different team you support. So you could have Tottenham Hotspur Club Football, which I bought, or the Arsenal Club Football, which I'm sure Kaito and John probably had. And that was a pretty rubbish game, but it was pretty enjoyable. And it was like the only game I remember that had White Hart Lane on it back in those times. But Johnny, do you have a favourite hipster football video game? Club, club football from 0405, which as we remember, is, is a long, long time ago, as we've already addressed <laughs> in this, this podcast. Oh, um, no. Um, the, the, uh, like, I remember probably the late, mid to late 90s, there was a game, probably about 98 or 99, there was a game called Liber, uh, Libera Grande, which was out on the PlayStation, 
and it was you you only you could only control one player on the team so it's like a quite early version of of be a pro that came about on fifa years later but it had the pro evo situation where um you're obviously taking on control. So I think if you played as Germany, you were playing as Jürgen Klinsmann. If you're France, you were Zinedine Zidane. If you were England, you were Alan Shearer. But like I say, they had the pro evolution soccer issue, but they didn't have any rights. So Alan Shearer wasn't called Alan Shearer. Um, I can't remember what they were called, but they had some very, very bizarre names that, that rivaled probably pro evo. Um, apart from that, one of my earliest football games that I remember playing on the PlayStation was... Um, Adidas Power Soccer, which sort of linked in with Predator Boots. And if your player had Predator Boots, you could get a special boost where you could, your shots were, shot power increased um, massively um, along a, uh, a power bar along the bottom as the game went on. Um, again, that was, the, the problem was that these games were made by small studios and they were by and large absolutely awful or didn't have the rights or, or what have you. So, um and you, you, you swung me off saying FIFA and the, the greatest computer game that's ever been made uh, as a football simulator, move away from football management, um, is FIFA 98 uh, Road to World Cup, which had every single national team in the world on it, which absolutely blew my mind when I first played that. You could go through a whole qualifying campaign. Um, it just had absolutely everything. It also had um, the best soundtrack because it started with Song 2 by Blair. So um, if I was to pick any game um, with, with FIFA on the table, it would be that. But without it, probably... Uh... Oh, no, I'm, I'm going to give a shout out to David Beckham Soccer as well. I, this is probably a longer answer than you wanted or anticipated. But David Beckham Soccer is, was absolutely terrible. But when I was doing my GCSEs um, on study leave, when you're supposed to be revising, uh, my friend would come around and we would just play uh, David Beckham Soccer. And the, the way to score was you get the ball... You would run your man down the line, making sure it didn't go out through a throwing. You'd reach the corner flag. You would turn 90 degrees, run along the goal line, and then pass it back to someone on the uh, edge of the area, and you would score every time. And we played that using that same tactic constantly, not getting bored of it, um, editing the teams so we'd have rubbish players uh, as part of the teams that were from like lower Premier League sides. Um, and then just finding it hilarious that we were giving them England caps, even though it was uh, it was all completely virtual. But so I'm going to say David Beckham soccer, even though I completely forgot it existed until about two minutes ago, is probably my favourite hipster non Pro Evo non FIFA football game. Fantastic! That was a great game. I can remember that one. John, um, do you oh. have a favourite football hipster game? Yes, Johnny, we're on the same wavelength here because. I also had David Beckham soccer and I had it on uh, Game Boy Color. And I remember that sheet as well. But there was another one where you just, you'd like go down near the goal, uh, the opposition's goal. You just hoof it off for a throw in and you just kind of position your player and the opposition player will just throw the ball to you. And then you just go and score. And I do that all the time with this like crappy little pixelated. It was great. I loved it. And I had like Beck's on it as well with his, uh, was he, um, skinhead by then or something like that he was skinhead and on the on the cover i think he was he was topless it was only like you could only see yeah. his shoulders but he definitely wasn't wearing a shirt so i don't know yeah. what their intentions there were whether it they looked were like a gillette to... advert really but but yeah also there was another game a few years ago i was in a charity shop and i saw this game it was called like hooligan rampage or something genuine game i didn't buy it i should have bought it you basically become a firm and you just go about 
beating people up around Europe. And I think it's got the same system as how football works. So it'll be like a fixture away in Anderlecht, Champions League night, Wednesday. And then on Saturday, at home to Borough. <laughs> yeah, I should have got it. But yeah. God. Well, another vote for David Beckham soccer and a bit of bit of love for this random hooligan game too. I'll need to yeah. find that somewhere. But um but Kai, do you have a new hipster game to add into the mix? Yeah, how's about uh red card, anybody? So the game came out in two thousand two and the, the, we were speaking, you know, the David Beckham cover image. This cover image was also bizarre. It was a recreation. I guess they must have hired two actors to recreate the iconic photo of Vinnie Jones grabbing Gaza in a very personal place. And that was the cover of the, the video game. And um, as the title suggests, you know, whilst technically it was a traditional football game in the sense that if you score more goals than the other team, you win. That was about the only thing traditional about it. Um, you had like these variations of fouls. You could drop kick players, you could elbow players. Um, Johnny was talking about special boosts. There were special boosts for fouls in this game, as well as shots and stuff. And it was really just like clunky, poorly animated, very violent but definitely never played a game like it before and don't think I'll ever play another football game that will make me laugh as much. Um, there was even a, like unlockables and you could literally um, unlock and play as a team of dolphins, <laughs> which was bizarre, like a dolphin 11. Um, do any of you guys have any memories of Red Card? No. <laughs> it sounds great, but yeah. A bit like that one John mentioned, the hooligan one. Those are two that slipped me by, sadly. We had... Um... I'm sure many other people played this when they were when they got bored of FIFA. But we had a my friend Aiden wasn't very into his football. Definitely wasn't into football video games. But we would play FIFA or Pro Evo, and the aim of the game when you were playing against Aiden was to get to 90 minutes and beat him before he got the match abandoned through getting players sent off with red cards. So um, that was a good variation. Also, when I was I <clears throat> in my early 20s, when I lived with two of my friends, we used to get incredibly drunk. Um, steal each other's controllers, make the other person look the other way and change what all the controls were and then pass it back to the other person and then try and have a, a legitimate game of FIFA on or Pro Evo uh, while not really knowing what each button was and also being incredibly drunk. So um, you can you can vary. You can make your own version of Red Card. You can make, uh, you just need alcohol and, and friends, which are, which are two things that are hard to come by uh, in lockdown. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess just a quick shout out. Um, as well to This Is Football for nothing more than the fact that I believe it must have been the first video football video game to have a combination of buttons that allowed you to dive. And that's just a terrible example to, I mean, kids play these games. But anyway, this was ages ago. This Is Football, another rubbish one, but yeah, memorable for, for things like that. few questions for you johnny we'll get into the more like macro football stuff later but but now the focus is is going to be on you so joe mentioned it earlier that you're an ambassador for the calm zone calm standing for campaign against living miserably and this movement has prevented hundreds of suicides since the start of lockdown and countless others over the years that it's been running so johnny if you could tell us a bit more about your relationship with the calm zone and then also I would like to know if you happen to have any thoughts on how maybe the calm zone or schools or employers, governments, what more they could be doing to raise awareness for and educate people about the issue of suicide. 
Yeah, of course. So I first became um, aware of CALM um, in the aftermath of my older brother, Simon, passing away from suicide um, in, in December 2014. And I'd never heard of them before. Um, and then in the immediate aftermath, they became almost inescapable. And I, um, like, I could see their adverts everywhere. And I think it's one of those confirmation bias or, or what have you, that um, once you notice something, you don't stop noticing it. Um, is it Streisand effect? Is that what it's called as well? Or is that something different? Anyway, I'll Google it later and let you know. Um, but I first became involved with, with them in the aftermath of that. My dad looked for somewhere to, to sort of raise some money for because um, for my brother's funeral, we decided not to really get flowers from friends and family. And we decided that we would raise some money for a charity instead. So he Googled um, a charity that best fit and um, he decided sort of against with, with the greatest respect to Samaritans and mind, they get a lot of attention, a lot of focus on the work that they do. And people are always running marathons and doing bungee jumps and skydives for them. Um, so he came across Calm, who were a much smaller charity and much more focused on men's mental health and men's suicide prevention. Um, and so we started raising money for them. Um, and I sort of got a bit more involved with asking if I could write some stuff for their website about my brother. Um, and then just really um, built up a good relationship with them. And eventually, um, as my profile on Twitter got bigger, I was very lucky to be asked if I would become an ambassador for them as well. And um, I'm definitely on the lower end of the scale of their ambassadors. You've got uh, people like Professor Green and, and Ramesh Ranganathan and people like that at the other end. Um, but then there's me um, at, the, at the other end of the scale. So um, I get to do other stuff as well. But um, no it's been it's been really good to be involved with them and to sort of spread the word and and the benefit that I have like I say my profile on Twitter grew um over the, over the course of it and a lot of my followers uh, are young men um into their football into other stuff and it's given a great opportunity to be able to speak about what calm do and reach out to these people that might not otherwise have encountered it I only encountered calm because of the situation that happened with um Simon and um if we can prevent other people having to go through something like that or having to reach the point um, where they feel like they have no other option, if we can sort of come in um, into interject into their lives essentially at a much earlier point, then it's a good job. And, and that, I guess that's what you touched on with education and things like that. I think um, when I was at school, which um, as we've already established when talking about Arsenal sponsors was a long, long, long time ago. Uh, but when I was at school, um, Mental health never really got men never got a mention. We did PE, and that's physical health. We did biology and talked about physical health. We did sort of um, I can't remember what it was called, but sort of a bit about community studies and things like that, which you, you could you think it would fall into, but no, nothing about mental health was ever mentioned. And high school, especially, is a very difficult time when you you know you you're um, under a lot of stress that you'll have never encountered before. Homework, relationships, you're sort of discovering the opposite sex or the same sex uh, for the same time, and you're sort of coming to terms with different things, and your hormones are through the roof, and you have no control over them. So it's a really difficult time, I and mean, that's a great place for people to have these conversations. And like I say, hopefully now I'm, I'm not in school now, um, even though I might look like I should be, but nowadays hopefully they're doing stuff like that and you know explaining to people and explaining to children and parents can have those conversations as well and as for what more the the, the government can do obviously we're in a tricky period in terms of budgets towards health services now um and it's probably 
on the back burner but I think more than ever we probably in sort of periods of isolation and periods of not being able to come into contact with your family and friends and and having those worries about your job and about finances and about if you can pay your mortgage or your rent and things like that people are going to become more and more worried and more anxious and and depressed and things like that and so the need for a well-funded mental health services is more more important than ever and, and it's just it's that tricky situation of you need money pumped into the, the health service to deal with the coronavirus and, and pandemic and things like that but at the same time it needs to be directed towards mental health services as well and, and it's never been really looked after and looked into greatly and people still have trouble accessing them and i guess that's where the safety net of charities like calm and the samaritans come in that they can help out and and where where people slip through the cracks of mental health services hopefully calm and, and the samaritans mind papyrus and the other great mental health charities can step in and, and help help out a little bit but there is much more work to be done as a society and, and uh, with the government and you know everyone's got a role to play and it's sort of trying to find your your place in that um even things like affordable housing uh, prevent suicides along the line and and universal basic income and things like that would really i'm not here to espouse uh, left wing i'm not owen jones um i'm not here to uh, to talk talk about what my political opinions are and things like that but um, there's there's so much stuff that relates to to how we can prevent suicides and how we can sort of manage uh, people with mental health problems much better um but like i say for those that slip through the through the net of, of uh, publicly funded uh, mental health services there are there are charities that are doing amazing and wonderful things and it's important to support those as well I hope, I hopefully covered everything <laughs> yeah no, thank you for yeah speaking so openly and also for yeah flying the flag for the calm cause no definitely uh, i'll second that with your twitter account I'm, I'm a follower i love it absolutely love it it cracks me up pretty much every tweet cracks me up and i don't know if you saw recently uh, adam hurry um, I don't know how you say his name. Hooray, hooray. Hurry, <laughs> yeah. Hurry, yeah. At football cliches. Um, he had a weird interaction with Jeff Stelling where Jeff took a joke kind of the wrong way almost or he just didn't get it and it just... <laughs> like, the interactions are hilarious. So, any listeners out there, go and look it up on Twitter. It's quite funny. But yeah, I was just wondering what's been your weirdest moment on Twitter? Have you had any weird interactions with anyone famous or just a random comment? Um, the, the most, the, the weirdest interactions that I've ever had, I've been blocked by um, a number of people, but um, I've been blocked specifically in these instances. I got blocked by Freddie Adu, who, as we've already touched on, I have a big love of, of championship manager and football manager, and he's the go-to championship manager wonder kid um never never tweeted him never said anything but when i discovered when i discovered that i'd been blocked by him i went sort of went back and see if i'd ever mentioned him to see if he searched his own name and the only time that i've um, ever mentioned him was that it was must have been world cup 2014 and ghana and the usa played each other freddie adu was born in ghana moved over to the usa his mum got a green card in the green card lottery and he moved over to the united states and they were playing each other and i said the winner of ghana against the usa gets the ashes of freddie adu's career which um <laughs> is, is is a bit hard i, like that. I think it's all right like, yeah but, um, so he must have found that and blocked me and um, the, um, the other person that blocked me was christian vieri the former uh, atletico madrid and juventus inter uh, an italy striker and he blocked me because i retweeted three of his tweets and he said one of them was 
where what is this another one was where is where are we and it was just three questions that he just <laughs> and i think i linked them to somebody um or quote retweeted them and he just blocked me straight off the straight off the bat so i don't know why he got so upset about uh me quote tweeting him i didn't even say anything um about the ashes of his, ashes of his career so uh i don't don't know why but i think uh yeah those are those are me uh, getting blocked by people um i think sometimes especially i, th- I can understand with christian very perhaps it was although i didn't really say anything you can blame it on a language barrier or something like that and i guess with freddie i do it was a bit of a he, he might be a bit more precious about his football career than perhaps we appreciate and maybe the the, th- the fact that people say he never reached his potential might sting a little bit so i can see what i can see on both sides why it was might have been done but it is just a bit uh not a kick in the teeth it's just a bit bizarre that sometimes these people that you like Christian Vieira is one of the like as someone that loves football from the 90s him Ronaldo Batistuta and Shearer the four four of the best strikers that um, I ever remember seeing and and to be blocked by him on Twitter because you link to one of his tweets is a bit bizarre but these things happen um I didn't even get didn't even at least at least Adam got the right of reply to uh, Jeff Stelling. I didn't even get that yeah. from Freddie. So um <laughs> Freddie Addy's listening, um we'll have a we'll have a chat over DM or, or have a drink one day. Um, Johnny's sorry. Um, I am incredibly sorry, Freddie. <laughs> Please, Freddie. Another question. What do you make of footballers' Twitter? Because I think the pinnacle of footballers' Twitter was when Wayne Rooney was tweeting Rio, do you want to get picked up? And Wayne Rooney was like tweeting people, I will knock you out and stuff like that. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. And I wish we could bring back those days of early Twitter when it was, everything was so naive and peaceful. And, he, and it's not just picture after picture of training, you know? Yeah, I can see why I can see why people don't tweet like that anymore because anything yeah. that they say on Twitter it becomes a news story and becomes an event. Or um, I'm glad that Wayne Rooney left all his old tweets up before he sort of either yeah. employed an agency or <laughs> had someone tweeting on his behalf or was asked to scale it back. But I do enjoy um, every so often a footballer will break kayfabe and will just go off on one like the you, you know they have those training pitches and back to work and next week's game yeah, and yeah. things like that but they'll just go rogue every so often and I enjoy that as well but I do think it was you're not seeing the, the good thing about Twitter is that you're you're interacting with people that you look up to and it's always interesting to see that what they're like um, as people and what their you know what their actual interests are and it's a shame that that sort of gets watered down a bit into and I can I understand why they do it from a professional point of view and, and why they do it from sort of a press and, and publicity publicity and publicist point of view but it's a shame because these people like someone like Peter Crouch who's obviously retired now and was at the tail end of his career when he joined Twitter and things like that but he's obviously got a masses of personality and has a really good sense of humor and he's really good to to speak to and people love him because of who he is and then you there's obviously going to be hundreds of footballers out there that are just as funny and just as interesting and as Peter Crouch but you don't get to see that side of them and what you do see is is what someone else has decided is is the best form of that person or the or what the people what people sponsors the club the owners want them to be like and that's a bit of a shame for fans and for people that want to want to know what these footballers are really like and what it's really like to be a footballer a lot of the time as well on that um, peter crouch podcast note and being produced from you know some somebody else maybe i know recently joe rogan just signed a massive 
massive contract. He has the Joe Rogan podcast with Spotify. And I think there was a big thing about that being like, it's still going to be Joe, you know, it's not going to change. And now, of course, they are, you know, getting in his ear, telling him to do this, to do that. But also, it's hilarious that you mentioned Freddie Adu, because we were chatting with Tamika Makandawire the other day, and he played for the Tampa Bay Rowdies, and he played with Freddie Adu. And he was telling us about, you know, Freddie Adu, the person, Freddie Adu, the player, towards the latter end of his career. So hopefully, if Freddie is listening, he didn't block us after that, and he's still, <laughs> still listening, and he'll hear your apology. So who knows? <laughs> Fingers crossed, Freddie. You, you, you brought me so much joy on Championship Manager. It would be a, would be a shame to lose him forever. Well, we'll, we'll speak to Tamika and see if we can salvage this situation. <laughs> Johnny, if, that, if there's anything on this podcast can do, maybe it's repair your relationship with Freddie Adu. But um, going back to your um, Twitter account, I've got to say I'm a massive fan of your sticker book themed cover photo. I think it's great. And um, I think like a lot of football fans, sticker books at one point or another were a, a big part of getting into football and finding out about all the various players. But um, I'm just keen to know, well, I, I probably know the, the answer to the first part, but did you always buy sticker books when you were younger? And would you say you're more of a, a Merlin sticker book guy or perhaps more of a Panini kind of World Cup Euros kind of guy? I don't think I really, but I, I think you used to get them at the start of each season, you would get a sticker book free with match or shoot. Um, and so I remember getting a few of those. Um, obviously, I didn't have, the, didn't have my own disposable income as a 10-year-old. Um, I wasn't sent down the mines or anything, so I didn't, didn't have much in the way of my own money to spend on football stickers. So it was sort of here and there or free ones or anything and um, I did complete it might be in the drawer next to me and um, I did complete the Euro 2012 sticker album going to the news agents and every time it's for my nephew that the stickers are for my nephew no one ever asked if who they were for it's just that panic of you don't want to be the the old weird person that's buying buying football stickers but I also bought a full set of um Newcastle uh stickers from 1996 um that are somewhere uh, in the house bought them off ebay because um <clears throat> which is what who which is the squad set of football stickers that's on my cover photo i did change it in the world cup to be england from um, euro 96 um in the world cup in 2018 i probably would have done the same thing if the euros were going ahead this year um, but no, I loved football stickers. My introduction into football was quite late at Euro 96. And so football stickers and, and championship manager are a good way of learning loads of facts and figures about who the players were and things like that. So um, I imagine a lot of uh, kids now probably still do the same, well, probably with FIFA and, and things like that. And the databases on those things are even bigger now um, that they'll, they'll learn all about football clubs all around the world and who the best footballers are and like I said football football stickers played a massive part in learning who all the who all the players were and who they played for and you get a hundred you get a hundred Phil Bab stickers and think he must be the best player in the world because that's why they must want everyone to have a Phil Bab sticker so um but no football stickers but football stickers are great and I think I don't know if you've ever read I think is it called Got Got Need it's about a guy that went around and he needed five more football stickers to to finish his uh finished one of his old albums and Philippe Albert, Newcastle legend, one of my favourite ever footballers, is involved in that because he was one of the missing stickers and I think he went around the world to meet the uh, the five missing players and had his photo taken with them to put in the sticker book instead. So, um, no, football stickers, fantastic thing. Um, I think I was more uh, Merlin when I was younger because I think they had the Premier League, they were the official Premier League supplier um, and then Panini for... Uh, for uh, international tournaments, but England, England still 
didn't give. You'll see it now even. I think maybe the last World Cup, uh, you get bad photoshopped England stickers because they had um, their contract was still with Merlin, I think. Um, so yeah, you'd have like Alex Oxlade Chamberlain's head on just a random model's body, or, or you know, <laughs> Peter Crouch on on someone really short's body or something like that. But yeah, I, I love the um, whole world. I love football, but I think I, I really love the world of football that isn't the actual matches a lot as well. Some football stickers definitely comes under that uh, remit. Phil Bev, that's I think the first thing. Well, there's probably. Besides the stickers, there's only one thing that people really think about when they hear the name Phil Bab. And yikes, that was, yeah, painful, <laughs> painful moment. I was talking about, what was it, uh, Vinnie Jones grabbing Gaza in a sensitive place earlier. Sorry, Phil. Yeah, quite a testicle-themed, <laughs> a testicle-themed uh, <laughs> podcast today. Oh, Need to mention that photo of Paul Scholes as well. Uh, oh, God, yeah. Slips oh, out of his shorts. I think yeah. that's, that's covered that's... all the genitals in football. <laughs> that's the most disturbing picture of the lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, Rand, randomly when I was a kid I, the football sticker I, obviously I, I, I read Match Magazine as well and got those stickers and whatnot. but I kept on I remember I kept on getting this guy Christian Zeej um, of Middlesbrough and Spurs yeah. yeah 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 kept on getting him I've got his sticker somewhere I know I've got it I've, I've never thrown it away but I just kept on getting this guy <laughs> I'm just and it was, it was just, I wanted like Ashley Cole, Soul Cam, you know, whatever. Christian Z. Z my, mate, my mate talks about, I think it's Stuart Nethercott. I can't remember who he played for, but my mate's obs- like... Played for Spurs, Stuart Nethercott. My mate's obsessed with him because that's the sticker that he always used to get. And um, again, I think he assumed that he was one of the best players in the world because of Stuart Nethercott. Um <laughs> whose only notable achievement is probably being in the sticker album with my friend a lot. I also heard of someone once, and I think maybe everyone has this story, of um, someone that I know, or someone that I know, a friend of a friend, whenever they used to get a swap, they just used to stick it over the person that was already in there. So they'd have like really thick pages of where they just kept sticking the same sticker over the top of someone. Oh. It's one way around if you don't have many friends to swap your stickers with. <laughs> <laughs> Tragic tale. time to play another one of our old favorite games on the pod and whilst billy our house Mackham, isn't with us we do have johnny here of course and so today's edition of hawaii which lads will be losing an a gaining an o and becoming hawaii which lads how the geordies prefer to say it i need one team's full starting 11 from a given match day in the past as many questions as you'd like guys Play along if you're listening, although if you ask me any questions, I sadly won't be able to answer them. Newcastle, of course, is today's theme. So this match, the first one, took place on January 21st of 2006 at St. James's Park between Newcastle United and Blackburn Rovers. The Magpies won 1-0. And between the three of you, I'd like the Newcastle starting lineup from that day. As many questions as you'd like and just shout it out. Right. So... Goalie, I assume, Shay Given to kick things off. Yeah, that's a nice freebie. So that's that one. Ticked. Is, um, is Celestine Babiaro hanging out in that team? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he, he's playing. Nice. 2006, is there two strikers? There are um, two out-and-out strikers and a third player who I would definitely call a forward. 
Are there two out and out strikers both English? <laughs> yeah. Are they Alan Shearer and Michael Owen? They're Alan Shearer and Michael someone. Ah, oh, Chopra then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chops. Chopra. Uh, first British Asian player to play in the Premier League. Um, so that's two of the forwards, yeah. Is, is Shola Amiobi the other kind of forward guy? No, this other guy I might save for later because it's quite an obscure one relatively, although Johnny might... Johnny might have a better idea, but yeah, I mean, you've got all the rest of the, the rest of the players to go for, so. I've just had a massive flashback to my sticker collection. I remember this guy, Olivier Bernard. <laughs> he's, he's not, no? I think he might have been just, he he might, they uh, might have phased Olivier Bernard out by 2006. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, can I, uh, like, I, I suppose you don't get kicked out for wrong answers. Um, no. I imagine Nobby Solano might have been playing. Absolutely. He, I'd yeah. say he's been like a two or a, yeah, one of two central midfielders. Was, was Gary Speed, rest in peace, playing? No, Gary Speed wasn't, wasn't playing. Who, who else can we go for? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for a risk and say Peter Ramage might have been playing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, well, in Peter Ramage, who I, I was looking on his Wikipedia and he eventually ended up playing in India and then retired in Arizona. Um, but Peter was playing. Um, so that's Babiaro and Ramage from the back four. They, they, they would have been right back and left back, I imagine. Yeah, two uh, backs to, go, to come. Kai, was um, Jean-Alain Boomsong playing? <laughs> he was indeed. <laughs> Jean-Alain Boomsong was at the heart of the defence with another, another guy. Was it Titus? Was it with Titus next to him? Yeah, what a brilliant centre-back pairing of Titus. I would. Are you saying yeah. we won this match as well? Yeah, somehow. Blimey. Kept a clean sheet. One nil. Oh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Central is Charles Nzogbia on the team? No, he's not. He's no. not. Obafemi Martins was he there yet? Um, maybe not quite yet. Uh, one it of came these, this, that summary would have come after Shearer retired. One of the midfielders is a manager now in either the Championship or League One. He was a Championship manager last season, that's for sure. And not uh, Lee Clark. No, Lee Clark. Well, it's not Lee Clark, but Lee Clark was playing. No, you're... <laughs> so, <laughs> you've got that. Uh, Lee Clark, who played for Newcastle twice and also played for Sunderland in between, and had that weird, weird thing where he was was it he turned up at a cup final for Newcastle whilst he played for Sunderland or something really yeah. bizarre. Wearing a, wearing a sad Mac and Bastards t-shirt. <laughs> That's <laughs> a character. Then. <laughs> got moved. Got moved on to Fulham very swiftly after that. Yeah, too much controversy for one career. Ship you off to West London and lay low for that. Yeah, Albert Luque was he? Yeah, that was the forward. The, the other forward. Massive. Oh, wow. Playing on left midfield. Um, that, that story of Clark showing up to the that like reminds me of Gaza showing up to what was it the Raoul Moat standoff with some chicken <laughs> and a fishing rod and and I think some lager as well. Of course. Um, what so, positions are we missing, Kai? I think it's just a centre midfielder. And this is the Championship manager. Yeah. Otherwise, um, he played for Leeds, and he played for Burnley. Oh, Lee Bowyer. Oh. Lieber, yeah, yeah, I probably I should have put uh, in there about his fight with um with Dyer, but anyway, it was Lee Bowyer. So you guys have rounded out the eleven from that day. I, I've got another another one for you though. So let's let's jump into that. But well done. This one might be a little trickier because it's going to be Newcastle focused, but I'd like the opposition on the 29th of November 2008 at the Riverside Stadium. Borough and Newcastle fought out a uh, a memorable nil nil draw in the Tyne Tees derby. I joke about the memorable nature of the game, but what was probably even more forgettable is Burroughs lineup. Um, but that's what I need, guys. So tell it to me. <laughs> oh my god. So, uh, Gary O'Neill? I'm just gonna say that. Gary O'Neill? No, no it's, I'll give you lots of clues, guys, if you need them. 
Stuart Downing, I imagine. Stuart Downing's in there, yep. Um, Brad Jones in goal? No, the goalie played for Chelsea otherwise. Schwarzer, Mark Schwarzer. The other one that played for Ross Chelsea. Ross Turnbull? Yeah, they've had two of them that have gone on to be backups there. Ross Turnbull was in goal. Is Lee Catamole, or is it too early for Lee Catamole? Uh, he's not in there. Too late. Is it Wigan by that point? Al- Alfonso Alves, just wreaking havoc up front. Well, I don't know about wreaking havoc, but he was there. <laughs> Fabio Rockenback, is he there? He's not, actually. There's Alves oh. is the only Brazilian in the lineup. Stuart Parnaby? No Parnaby. Wow. I thought that was going to be my Peter I haven't Ramage. heard that name for a very, very long <laughs> time. <laughs> Stuart Parnaby. No, it was 2008. Yeah. Um, Is that too late for Southgate? No Southgate, but there's two former Arsenal players in the lineup. Oh, Ray Parler? No, that's a good shout, though. Oh, Ali Adier. Ali Adier is one of them. Ooh. The other one's a defender. Justin Hoyt. Yeah, well in, John. Yeah. He also has played for Sunderland, so he's played for yeah both of those teams. Right. It, there's not a guy in the team that always seems to pop up in this podcast, even though we don't... There's not, I'm just going to say... Is, oh, is no, 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 no. We, don't even, we don't even need to say it, because he's not. He's not. <laughs> he, always, <laughs> he always finds a way. Yeah, we have, we have an Adam Johnson problem on this podcast, Johnny, <laughs> where he finds a way to yeah, crop up into the conversation. But no, he's not in this, he's not in this starting eleven. Um, oh, who else was Oh, Jonathan Woodgate, was he there? No, I'll give you one of the centre-backs was Austrian. Oh, oh. Emmanuel Pogatetz. Yep, Pogatetz. The other centre-back has a massive chin and a massive forehead. <sighs> oh, what was he? He played for Bolton. Yeah. Oh, oh, David Wheater. Yeah, David Wheater. <laughs> wow. The left-back, this Amazing. is a tricky one. He was just an English left-back that played for Borough. Not particularly spectacular. He was oh, a player. I, I think I know. Andrew Davis. I'm going to just give it to you, Andrew Taylor. Oh, Taylor, okay. Not, I, I know that you knew that. Um, I knew it was Andrew. All right. Um, one of the forwards was relatively high profile on an international stage. Um, he had curly hair and he usually scored oh. good goals. Turkish? Yep. Tunchai. All right. Sanli Tunchai. And it's just at this point oh. uh, two midfielders. Uh, one of them was also very highly rated. And they actually signed him from PSG. It's not, it's not Goof, Fran, surely not. No, no. no. <laughs> well, he's, he was, was he bald? Yeah, he was. Oh, I forgot. Didier Degard. Yeah. It? Did, um, he was that nice, strange looking, tall, old French. Yeah. Oh, he was kind of like, looked like John Joe Shelby, actually. Um, uh, then one midfielder who we've spoken about on this podcast in the past, he had a bit of a. Uh, illustrious career in non-league football eventually Julio Arca yeah John that's the yeah, one I saw him, I, I've seen him play football for South, South Shields actually and he scored a, a wonder goal from the halfway line also ended Alan Shearer's career so oh. said about him <laughs> and on oh, that note okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah on that note I think we'll, we'll leave that bit there Newcastle, the team that Johnny supports, are historically one of the biggest clubs in England and notoriously have one of the, if not the most, passionate fan bases. The 90s were a good time, and it's fair to say that whilst the millennium started well enough, the majority of these past two decades have been turbulent for the club and its supporters. 
From title challenges and competing in Europe, the club has since transitioned to relegations from the Premier League and a massive divide between the fans and the boardroom. Nonetheless, we've seen the late great Sir Bobby Robson, a quality manager in Rafa Benitez, the legend that is Kevin Keegan and the prodigal son Alan Shearer all play for and or manage the club in its relatively recent history. And regardless of the downturn, Newcastle have always managed to attract exciting players like Obafemi Martins, Hatem Ben Arfa, and more recently, Alan St. Maximan. So despite mixed results, they pretty consistently stayed true to at least trying to play some decent football, which I would say is arguably the true sign of a big club. Anyway, Johnny, to dwell on a negative for a moment, as a fan, how did you take that first relegation in 2009? Um, I was playing football when we got relegated, um, unfo- thankfully not for Newcastle um, or for Aston Villa who sent us down, but um, I think it came to the point, oh, in hindsight, all we needed to do was get a draw um, and we Hull would have gone down um, and we were relegated by an own goal, um, Damien Duff. It was sort of the culmination of, um, like we saw when we got relegated um, for the second time, just sort of culmination of sort of sitting on our hands almost and not really pushing on as, as best we could. Although the, the team that went down was good. It had Martins, Owen, Viduka, um, you know, Harper. There were some good players there. Um, most of them left Barton, Nolan stayed around, people like that. So there was good players in that team, Damien Duff as well. So um, it was sort of just sort of a transfer policy gone wrong that we wanted to sign these these big high profile players that just also sort of didn't really want to be at Newcastle um and you know we we sort of did the wrong well we did the right thing but I can see why we appointed Shearer I can see why we appointed Keegan and, and people like that but yeah it just all all went wrong um thankfully we, we kept most of that team together in the championship and got a good manager in Chris Hewton who um is is one of the kindest hearted you know nicest people to to have managed Newcastle um so we got quite lucky and and you know to, to drop down a division you know clear out some dead weight see who wants to prove themselves sort of worked out a little bit um we finished fifth fifth a couple of years later so um it sort of worked out well in that regard but um the person that we needed to probably to shake off in that relegation was the owner and, and, you know, he's, he's stuck around and he's been the sort of the problem ever, ever since. And he was the problem beforehand. So, um, no things that, that relegation was, was a disappointment. Um, but it's sort of something we were resigned to. I think that we just a lot of, um, a lot of players that were on big wages that, that weren't really pulling their weight and to get, get them off the wage bill, get them out of the club, we had to get relegated to do it, but I think it was a good thing in the end. If they'd stuck around, we would have only ended up getting relegated at some point anyway and spent more money along the way. So, um, you know, it was fun. We got to got to go to play against Blackpool and Preston and, you know, Plymouth and these teams at Yeovil and stuff like that. So it was uh, an interesting journey. And uh, I wouldn't recommend it to every club to get relegated just so you can go and play against Burton Albion. But um, fun. It, it was a laugh. Yeah, no, I'm thinking back to you mentioned kind of high profile signings who didn't necessarily want to be there, the likes of Habi Bay, Chris Kasapa, and you just look at these guys and it's like, it, it was no surprise it went from bad to worse that season, I suppose. Oh, uh, yeah. So, quick question on Mike Ashley. Uh, <laughs> I see you've got a Sports Direct blazoned uh, in your background. Yeah. <laughs> 
do you shop there? And obviously, I, I, I assume uh, you want them out. And is the Saudi takeover, would that be something you would want? Or is it a bit dodgy? A bit dodgy, mate. <laughs> the, the Saudi takeover is a difficult one because on the one hand, it would signal the end of Mike Ashley, which is something that a lot of Newcastle fans, a majority of Newcastle, a vast majority of Newcastle fans would, would ultimately want. Um, it would also mean a lot of money getting pumped in because they're obviously an extremely rich ownership slash regime slash government, whatever you want yeah. to, <laughs> how, however it, it manifests itself. Um, but at the same time, and it's, it's, it's a difficult one because either side of the coins a bit rubbish in that Mike Ashley doesn't spend the money necessarily that we need to, to spend to really push on. He's quite happy to consolidate a 17th place finish. He, you know, the, the transfer window that we we're currently in or just sort of coming to the end of, he's sort of made a few amendments. He's willing to sign players that are 28 years old, which he hasn't done before. It might not have worked out with Jolinton, but he signed a 40 million pound player. He signed a 20 million pound player in, in San Maximan and again in Almiron. So he's willing to splash the cash here and there. But in terms of where we want to be, and I think any football clubs are saying that they want to be as pushing as high as they possibly can. Um, we're not really doing that. But then the, the alternative is a regime that has a horrendous human rights record. Um, you, you, they're using Newcastle to sort of improve their image on the international stage. Um, it's difficult. The way that I would look at it, if it was to happen, and I think it's sort of dead in the water now, um, was that we got rid of Mike Ashley and that's something that we would be celebrating and then we'll, we'd have to, we don't get a say as, as fans who our owners are. Um, so to label the, the issue at, the, at our doorstep is a bit unfair. You know, I wouldn't be celebrating the fact that we had Saudi Arabian owners. I'd be celebrating the fact that it's the end of Mike Ashley. We don't get a say of who he sells the club to. And so um, that injection of money would be lovely and you don't get to the level of wealth that you need to own a Premier League football club without making some dubious decisions, but there's giving workers zero hours contracts and then there's getting allegedly getting journalists killed. Um, and they're, they're, you know, they're two very different things. Um, obviously neither is a, a positive thing, but like I say, you don't get, you don't get to where these people are in business without stepping on a few people along the way, but there's figuratively stepping on people and there's literally stepping on people and, the Saudis allegedly seem to do the latter a lot more than Mike Ashley does. So it's a very difficult situation to be in as a fan. But again, the fans aren't the ones that, that are responsible for either Mike Ashley's decision making or who he sells to or, or what the Saudi regime does. It's just you got to temper your celebration, um, not not change your Twitter profile to a picture of, you know, Steve Bruce in a headscarf and not change, you know, add a Saudi Arabian flag on the end of your Twitter name. You don't need to do all that. You can just be happy that Mike Ashley's gone. Um, and that would would have been the boat that I would have been in, but sort of resigned to having Mike Ashley for at least probably another season now until somebody maybe makes a bid next off season. But then coronavirus pandemic by then would have hopefully disappeared, which means that, you know, Mike Ashley would, might not need to sell in the same way that because his business might have picked up with people being able to go to shops. So it's very difficult. Do I shop at Sports Direct, which was one of your initial questions? Um, no, not really. Um, not where I can Fair help enough. it. But at the same time, they're one of the very few places on the high street now. You know, if I need a new pair of shorts, 
for football or a new pair of socks or a base layer or something. It's one of the very few places where I can go and actually try something on and make sure it fits. Same with football boots and AstroTurf boots and things like that. So sometimes yeah. needs must and sorry sorry to fellow Newcastle fans for funding the regime but uh, <laughs> needs, needs feel, must do, do you feel Steve Bruce has been unfairly treated by some Newcastle just because he's got Mike Ashley behind him uh, no <laughs> I don't, I don't not, not a fan of, of <laughs> I'm a fan of Steve Bruce as a person and he seems yeah. a really nice person I think what he went through um particularly with his parents, um, both passed away in very close sort of um, time to one another. Um, and he, you know, had to go through that and, and try and still, you know, live his, live out his career as a football manager when he was at Sheffield Wednesday and Aston Villa and things like that. So as a man, as a person, I think he, he has his heart in the right place, but as a tactician and as, a, as someone that you want making decisions at a football club, no, he's not a particularly good manager, but again, he's got his sort of hands tied a little bit, and um, he didn't have to take. No one made him take the Newcastle job, and I know he he says he's a fan of Newcastle, but I don't know if he is a Newcastle fan or he's just someone from Newcastle. Um, he's never really spoken about being a, a extremely passionate. I know his his dad was. You know, he's never. I guess he moved to Norwich when he was quite young to be a professional footballer and things like that. So. In terms of Steve Bruce as a as a manager, there's better options out there. Especially, you know, we're never going to get a Pochettino, but um, or, or one of the other managers that's available. But someone like you saw what Southampton did with Ralph Hasenhurtl, and yes, they lost nine 0 to Leicester, and that's a cloud that constantly hangs over Hasenhurtl when it gets, you know, brought up. But he's a good manager, and he's a progressive manager, and. There's, there's there's managers out there overseas that have done incredible things in possibly lesser leagues, such as the Swiss League or, or lower down in the Bundesliga, that would love an opportunity to come to a club like Newcastle. I mean, we don't have to look at the, you know, Joe Kinnears and Alan Pardews, John Carvers, Steve McLarens. There's better options often available than than someone like Steve Bruce. So as a man or as a person, I wish him all the best in the world. But as a manager, um, I'd, I'd quite happily see him managing one of our one of our Premier League rival championship team wherever he finds his level. Um and, and good luck to him. But uh, and good luck to him at Newcastle obviously because we still want to win matches. It's just whether we'll win them with <laughs> win, win them with him in charge. I'm not willing him to to get us relegated so he gets the sack. But at the same time I, I, another manager would always be preferable. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's going to be sticking around for long, but he does seem to love managing rival teams. He seems he's there's about three separate examples of that but um Johnny moving on to this season for Newcastle it's been a a fairly good I mean I know I know you lost to Brighton 3-0 but it was a good start against West Ham a couple of the new signings Wilson and Hendrick got on the score sheet and you've brought a couple of other I think really quite good players as well in Fraser and Jamal Lewis as well and you're doing well in the cup um what I'm interested to know is Based on these first four games, are you more confident now from the season than you were before it started? Or actually, whilst Mike Ashley is at the club, is it hard to get optimistic about anything as a Newcastle fan? It's hard to be optimistic when you think that, that he, like I said earlier, he'd be happy with finishing 17th, really, um, as long as we didn't get relegated. Um, I don't think... I. I said some uh, unpleasant things about Steve Bruce as a manager before, but I don't think he wants to finish 17th. He obviously wants to finish as high up as he possibly can for his own personal uh, pride. I'm happier now than than I was before we'd signed anybody. Um, 
because we lost we lost horrendously in a pre-season friendly to to Middlesbrough um, and that really set the wheels in motion in, in signing Jamal Lewis, Callum Wilson, um, Ryan Fraser and I think those those uh, plus I wasn't that you know Jeff Hendricks a middling Premier League mid-table lower mid-table midfielder I know he got linked with AC Milan but they're not the t- they're not quite the team that they once were um, when he was getting uh, linked with them so you know, he was one signing. We couldn't really go into the season relying on on Joe Linton and Andy Carroll's one of my favourite Newcastle players uh, ever. But he's not. You know, he's made of matchsticks um, for his knees, so you can't rely on him to to really play week in week out and score the goals that you need. So I was happy when Callum Wilson came in because he's a he's a good good Premier League forward. Hopefully, he can you know get into that sort of bracket of getting 15 Premier League goals and that would be a really good return on, on him and Ryan Fraser's exciting. Jamal Lewis is really exciting because he's a young British player that we've signed for decent money. We've not really pinched him off Liverpool but the fact that he was getting linked with Liverpool and they made a bid for him obviously even if he was only going to be back up to Andy Robertson, being back up to one of the best fullbacks in the world is, is no mean achievement um, especially when someone like Jurgen Klopp um, has scouted you and wants to sign you. Um, so I was really happy with his sign and the left back was definitely an area that we needed to look at. But there's still improvements that need to be made across the board. Um, we probably need another striker because if Callum Wilson, he's, he's snapped his cruciate ligaments twice. If he was to have another bad injury, we then still are relying on Joe Linton or putting armour on St Maximan up front on, and try and get Andy Carroll some goals. Um, so yeah, we probably need... Maybe another another winger as, as backup, especially if someone like Christian Atsu was to leave and, and Jacob Murphy, uh, whichever Murphy we have, I can never remember. Um, <laughs> we have uh, he's been reintegrated back into the first team, so it probably looks like we're not going to get another one of them. But um, yeah, I think we've got a, we've got a good mid to lower Premier League team, and um, hopefully that's where that, you know if we can get tenth, you know ninth, and do well in the cups. I just want to see us win a trophy that's not the championship title at some point, ideally. I've seen us lose two FA Cup finals. I've seen us reach the, you know, knockouts. Well, they weren't knockout stages of the Champions League then, but the second group stage of the Champions League, you know, did well in the UEFA Cup. And it'd just be nice to to be able to actually go to that next hurdle and win a trophy, even if it is just the Carabao Cup. And even if we only play League One and League Two teams to get there to the final, would would be a would be a great thing and I'm sure many people would agree and hopefully that would, you know, signal Mike Ashley and, and Steve Bruce can go out on a high uh, of, of winning a trophy. So uh, so fingers crossed. Perhaps. Mike Ashley on the um open top bus tour around Newcastle. Just imagine the scenes that would yeah. be a- power drinking away. Yeah. Giving the wrong directions, fingers crossed, in his bus. And I was going to say his bus would end up in Sunderland, but they'd, black, they'd buy him plenty of drinks, Sunderland fans, for everything that he did to Newcastle. We do have a final game that will be very quick and it's called Pick That One Out. Um, it's a game we played before and we know, Johnny, you have a, a big opinion about Dennis Bergkamp's goal against Newcastle and you, you think, of course, it was um, a fluke, the turn he did. So today it's me describing goals in the style of a commentator. They all involve fluky Premier League goals. Um, so I'm going to play the first one 
now and hopefully you guys are able to guess who it is. And the away team kick us off today and run towards the opposition goal. They've lost the ball and the goalkeeper has it. He clears it and it goes long. It bounces over the defenders and it bounces over the goalkeeper. I do not believe what I've just seen. 1-0. There could be three. <laughs> How I many think, times does that happen in the Premier League? Like three times. I think I don't know which one it is though. Is it Azmir Begovic? It is Azmir Begovic. Uh, yeah, was, was that against Spurs or? No, it was no. against um, Southampton in a Premier uh, League game a few years ago. But yeah, there was the Paul Robinson one, a game Kaitel and I were both at separately. And then there was also Tim Howard, I think. He yeah. Scored, yeah, he scored against Bogdana in a, on a windy day. But that was number one. Let me quickly play number two for you. Is there going to be one final chance in this important game? The defender whips it into the box and they've cleared it. But wait, they get the ball back in the box and it looks like it's going into the goalkeepers. Oh no, it's hit the bar. Bar again. Goal! Drama! That's Divock, right? It is, yeah. yeah, yeah. Jordan, Jordan Pickford, man, He's he must have like... I don't know, like grease or something, like just coating his gloves recently because he can't hang on to anything. Um, but uh, yeah, that was a funny one in the Merseyside derby. Was it a cup game as well or was it a Premier League game? Yeah, it's a Premier League game, but um, I feel like that was the beginning of the end for Jordan Pickford. It seems to have gone all downhill ever since that um, unfortunate moment for him. Um, yeah. Jordan. Was it against Newcastle that he had the save behind the line? He's, he conceded two goals past the 90th minute. Um, both from Florian Lejeune against Newcastle, but he also was it, I think playing for Everton. He saved a Matt Ritchie penalty. We were two one down, and he gave it the big one as he went off for half time to the Newcastle fans, and then they lost three um, two. So he he's not very good when it comes to Newcastle. I think he just gets too overwhelmed by emotion, um, and you know his arms are too small. <laughs> yeah, if you ask Thibaut Courtois. That's what you tell you, right? <laughs> right, I do have one final clip for you, which I'm going to play now. The attacking player gets the ball on the edge of the opposition centre circle and he drives towards goal. Now he tees up a shot. Oh, it's a weak one. No power. Wait! Wait, the bubble! It's in, it's a goal! The goalkeeper looks bemused and the striker looks even more bemused. I don't believe it! Drama. <laughs> um, huh? Is it is it Matt Litter's Matt Litter's yay? It's against uh, Flowers, isn't it? Is that the one? It's um. Or is it, it Taibi? It was against Tim Flowers. Flowers. Matt Litter's Oh, that one where he he kneels down to pick it up and it bobbles over his. Yeah, yeah, and then and then both the goalie and the guy who scores it are both looking like. Is it? Is it Patrick Berger? It isn't. It's one of his teammates. M no, not McManaman. Redknapp? McAllister? No, he um he had a <laughs> on talk sport for a long time. Not Alan Brazil. Jason uh, McAteer? No, no, this is a striker, a bit of a controversial figure. Um, oh, it's Colin Moore, is it? Yeah, Stan mm. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that was a, a very strange, um, unfortunate goal in many ways. But yeah, Johnny, so, um, I mean, I'm a Spurs fan, and whilst... I I hate Arsenal. I do, uh, that Bergkamp go, I always thought. Was <laughs> good, but do you reckon was it was it complete fluke? Is uh, can we 
can we chalk off Bergkamp's moment of brilliance there? Uh, do, you want, uh, do you want the joke answer or do you want the sincere answer? I don't mind. What, 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 <laughs> uh, right, the joke answer is that it was definitely a fluke and also that um, it was a foul on Nikos Davizas. If you wow. want a sincere answer, it was just a fluke. It probably wasn't a foul on, on Nikos Davizas. <laughs> Nice, like that. Oh, terrible. I think inevitably, <laughs> inevitably, John and I probably disagree as Arsenal fans, but it is what it is. Um, <laughs> we'll live with it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure Dennis Bergkamp isn't losing any sleep over the fact that I think it's a fluke. So I'm sure oh, he's well, quite he... happy shining his Premier League winners' medals and and FA. Yeah, as long as you don't ask him to get on a plane, he's fine. Yeah, you should check his Twitter. He might have blocked you though. <laughs> Um, I'd love to be able to to to, uh, to ask him um, if it was a fluke, but I think he's he's got too much of a reputation off the back of it now to ever ever admit that it was. He's just got to live the lie for the rest of his his life. So, oh how's he look at himself in the mirror? Living a lie. He's not not the man he thinks he is. He was like like the first Harry Kane. There's I've mentioned it on the podcast before that goal where Harry Kane claims that it like touched one follicle of a hair on his head. And then claim the goal. I can't remember who it was against, against Stoke, but... and everyone got upset. I, 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 yeah. uh, I obviously, Joe it. doesn't like, like that. Yeah, I didn't like that. <laughs> Dennis Bergkamp scored one of the one of the best goals in the Premier League against Leicester, which is the same one he basically scored against Argentina, just in in mirror, where he brings it down in three touches and then scores with the, the outside of his boot. That goal is fantastic because he meant every every part of that. That brings us to the end of today's episode. A big thank you to Joe, my co-host, and to John, and an extra special thank you to today's guest. Johnny, we've loved having you. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. How have you enjoyed yourself? It's been a great pleasure. I'm uh, gonna go to bed thinking of Peter Ramage now and uh, all, all the joy that he brought me as a Newcastle player. Hopefully he's loving his life uh, in the United States via India. Yeah, you're, you're welcome for that. Dream, yeah, sweetly of Peter Ramage this evening. Um, make sure everybody to to follow Johnny Sharples on Twitter, where he is at Johnny Gabriel. That's J-O-N-N-Y, Gabriel. Otherwise, Johnny, is there anything in particular that you've done recently or that you're working on at the moment or just anything for the listeners to look into or look out for, for that matter? Um, I have my own podcast, which um, isn't a football podcast. So I'm not stepping on your toes. Um, it's a podcast called Your Fest, and it's all about dream music festivals. Each week we have a different guest on who talks us through what their dream music festival would, would look and sound like. Some of them have been really interesting. Some of them have been absolutely horrendous. Um, our guest uh, most recently was Max Rushton, who people probably know from Soccer AM or from the Guardian Football Weekly and TalkSport, and his um, dream festival is absolute chaos, and it's just sounds horrible um but is one of the funniest things i've ever had the absolute pleasure of sitting and listening to someone talk about we've had comedians like ed gamble ivo graham who you might have heard on quickly kevin reese james who's a big Tottenham fan and uh, we've had him on as well we've had Maisie adam big leeds united fan so yeah we've had some great guests on some great episodes a lot of music chat a lot of just people being idiots and saying how much they love or hate festivals so uh, you can find us on spotify acast and apple uh, at your fest just give it a search give it a listen and yeah enjoy yeah it was at your fest again everybody so thanks again johnny 
And uh, listeners, if you've enjoyed this episode, we do have plenty more of them wherever you found us streaming, just primed and ready to be a quick escape or even just a little background noise whenever you need us. So give those a listen and follow us on Twitter where we are at BlazersFGPod. And if you still do the whole Zuckerberg thing, find us on Facebook. Face, <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> if you do the whole Zuckerberg thing, find us on Facebook. <laughs> if you do the whole Zuckerberg thing, find us on Facebook too, at Blazers for Goalposts. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Goodbye.